If you have your Bibles, get them out. We are going to dig through them quite a bit today. And uh, if you don't have one, there should be one probably underneath one of the chairs in front of you or maybe right underneath your own chair. Um, our passage is going to come out of the book of Matthew chapter 6. Before, before I get into that, Alan mentioned that Jesse is down in the Amazon. He's been, he is in the Amazon. Uh, not only does he work as our student minister, but he also is a part of a mission organization called Youth Hope. And one of the things that Jesse has been doing over the past 10 plus years is traveling around the world, literally around the world to different continents, whether it be Africa or Asia, or now they're in South America, and they're teaching remote churches how to do youth ministry. And so he is literally in the Amazon jungle right now, or has been this past week, working with tribes in the remote places, teaching their ministers and their people how to reach their children. And uh, then he comes back and he puts into practice here what he's teaching out there. So keep him in your prayers as he's out and about traveling and, and, and taking the gospel message to places you and I will probably never see. And, uh, but just so you're aware, that's what he's doing. When, when he's not here, usually he's out somewhere, whether it's Nicaragua or Ecuador or Peru or India or somewhere. And so anyway, keep in your prayers as he's out and about traveling. All right, one day in, in, in 2009, um, a movie studio executive was given a DVD to, uh, to, to look at. It was a low-cost budget film. It only cost about $15,000 to make. And, and he wanted to see if this movie producer would produce it and put it out in theaters and and so the producer took that home and he watched it that evening and it reportedly scared him so bad that, that uh, right after the movie ended, he discovered that his door in his house was locked in his room from the outside and he had to call a locksmith to come and unlock him and let him out. He was also convinced that this DVD was something demonic or haunted. There was something wrong with, with what was going on in his uh, watching this. Now, he brought that DVD the next day to the studio in a trash bag. After a while, he decided, okay, we will produce this and put it out there in theaters. The movie in question was this pretend found footage of the movie that he entitled Paranormal Activity. Now, some of you may have seen that or you may have heard about that. This film produced, like I said, only $15,000 to produce it, but since then it has gone on. They've made other movies based upon this same theme and has brought in millions of dollars just to scare the bejeebies out of everybody in America. All right? Now, that executive who to this day is still convinced, from what I understand, that that DVD has got to be haunted, is a man by the name of Steven Spielberg. All right. Now, this is the time of year when being scared is most prevalent. Matter of fact, Halloween is this week, 
and you will probably be visited by ghouls and goblins and all kinds of people dressed up to, to, to scare one another. We will we'll, we'll see that, that there will be people who will be ghosts and, and, and witches and zombies, and they'll tell stories, hopefully to get you on the edge of your seat to make your nerves a little rattled. And, and they dress up maybe as their favorite character from television or a comic book or a cartoon or whatever. But some people will dress up with the intention of making you nervous, and scaring you. While being scared, maybe just one time a year, to express ourselves and having fun, but we live in a world where there is, in actuality, a reality of things that are going on around us that people might be afraid of. Wars are being waged. We know that. We see that, we hear about that all the time, and rumors of, of our involvement are beginning to maybe make some people a little uneasy. People are, are, are waging wars in their own communities by creating crimes against their neighbors. Political targeting of opposition is going to be on the elevation here as we're moving into an election year. And whether we like it or not, we see things sometimes in the future as uneasy. We see sickness and disease have made people a little bit more fearful, whether it's a virus that we've dealt with over the last few years, or maybe it's other things like monkeypox, or, or maybe polio, or measles. Or we can name all kinds of diseases out there that have come against humanity. There are other real things that might scare us that we have, we've happened recently. Everything from an economic turmoil to, to, to protesters that are lobbying and looting and robbing and burning things down. And, and remember that there are, there are scares. Remember back years ago there was this, this big fear of, of murder hornets coming to America? I remember that they were coming up out of the south, and, and so you've got to be careful not to let any kind of you know, flying insect bite you because it might kill you. Well, there we are. So what are you afraid of? And a lot of guys will say, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, <laughs> they don't sleep at night either, probably. Maybe your fears right now have more to do with the here and now in your life and, and being expressed through what psychology calls anxiety or worry. Because we allow our anxieties and our worries to really come out. Uh, paying your bills so that you have heat this winter may be an anxiety that you're, you're struggling about. Uh, maybe it's just buying groceries and having food in the refrigerator. Or a family member who's dealing with a very serious sickness or an injury. And maybe even coming to the end of their life and, and what's going to happen with me and how is that going to take place? Or maybe you're worried about trying to help your children navigate adulthood and, and how they can help to raise their children and, and raise healthy lives and become well-adjusted, balanced kids who, who then can succeed in life. And we think all these different things, we start running through our minds. And, but the question is, are we raising our children to put their faith in Jesus Christ and find salvation in Him? Maybe you've got an enormous amount of debt or a car that runs and doesn't run and you're worried if you're going to be able to get to work or not with it. 
Maybe it's the, the dog down the, the street and you're afraid he's going to bite you when you go for your walk or those spiders and snakes that are starting to you know, come into the house because it's getting cold. I mean, we all have things that scare us. We have phobias that are out there. And I know that we all have these different types of fears and we often struggle with how do we cope with these on the daily grind. Tomorrow is always tomorrow. But it's getting closer every second. And are we prepared for what it might bring? I know that anxiety is not a laughing matter, but often we make jokes about our, our fears and our anxieties and our worries. Uh, think about the old Peanuts cartoon, all right? And Linus shows up and he's having a conversation with Charlie Brown. And, and, and he says to Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, you, you look kind of depressed, Charlie Brown. And he responds, well... I worry about school a lot. And then Charlie adds to that, I worry about my worrying about school a lot. And as they sit on that log together, Charlie finally makes this last statement. And he says, my anxieties have anxieties. <laughs> you know, and he's sitting with a fellow who usually carries around a security blanket. <laughs> It's just kind of odd that we would be talking about that. But in reality, this Charlie Brown and this Linus could be us. And that's why we find humor in it. Because we do have anxieties in life. We do worry about things. We struggle with the security that we have. In our study this morning, we're going to expose the so-called worry wart in our lives. Jesus is challenging us instead of allowing our anxieties to build up in us and to control us and that the worries that they, they, they come with, it, that we should then instead put our trust in God and allow Him to deal with the things that we actually have no control over. And if we trust in His power and His faithfulness to see us through each day. So let's open up the book of Matthew. And we go to chapter 6. And we're going to close out chapter 6 as we begin reading at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first... His kingdom, this the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
and then all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That brings me to my first thing I want to talk about this morning. Jesus commands us not to be anxious. Well, if you can't read that, maybe there's some problem, all right? But, oh no, I made a mistake, right? We, we fear about these things. But he commands us, don't be anxious about stuff. Now, now three times in his sermon right here, the Sermon on the Mount, he commands us, do not be anxious. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, the Greek word for anxious, merimnao, it, it, it's built on a word that we use, something that's apart. It, it could be translated, don't go to pieces, don't fall apart, don't be distracted. It, it literally means to be drawn or pulled in different directions. Worry or anxiety has this emotional ability to destroy us, literally, that we fall apart because of our anxious thoughts. Worry is one of the most destructive weapons that Satan uses. Did you catch that? It is not an aspect of godly character. It's an aspect that Satan uses to destroy godly character. It steals your joy, your commitment, your, your, your contentment, your happiness. And what it makes even more uh, ridiculous is that we often worry about things that we actually are going to have no control over. And many times those things never even happen. But we've worried about them. Worry is futile. It's, it's worthless. It's useless. It doesn't produce anything positive or good. And it accomplishes nothing at all except maybe insomnia. That's where you, you just can't sleep. Why not? Because I'm worried about something. And we think about it constantly. Irving Berlin, he wrote a song called Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep. Now, he was going through a very difficult and a troubling time in his life, and he was struggling with anxiety so much that he was having a point where he could not sleep at night, and he was staying awake constantly, and the insomnia was making him sick. A doctor came and visited him at his home, and after listening to Irvin's self-pity and, and all of his belly aching and complaining about this and all that, the doctor finally suggested then that you need to start counting your blessings instead of sheep. And so then he wrote this song, which was later incorporated into the movie White Christmas. It says, When I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep, and I fall asleep counting my blessings. When my bankroll is getting small, I think of when I had none at all, and I fall asleep 
counting my blessings. I think about a nursery and I picture curly heads. And one by one I count them as they slumber into bed. If you're worried and you can't sleep, just count your blessings instead of sheep, and you'll fall asleep counting your blessings. Now, you all should be asleep by now. I don't know what's going on. That would have put anybody to sleep, right? You must really have a lot of anxiety, all right? Well, great Scottish novelist, Alistair MacLean, he's written a lot of, of books and novels that, based upon adventure and thrillers and all that. He tells a story one time from Towler, who was a German mystic, and he says this. He says, one day Towler met a beggar, and he said, God, give you a good day, my friend. And the beggar answered, I thank God I never had a bad one. And Tyler then said, Well, God give you a happy life, my friend. He says, I thank God, said the beggar. I'm never unhappy. Well, that kind of amazed Tyler. And, and, and so he asked, well, well, what do you mean? Well, said the beggar, when the weather is fine, I thank God. When it rains, I thank God. When I have plenty, I thank God. When I'm hungry, I thank God. And since God's will is my will, and whatever pleases Him pleases me, why should I say I'm unhappy when I'm not? Tyler looked at the man kind of in an astonishment, and, and he said, well, who are you? He asked. And the beggar replied, I'm a king. And Tyler then said, where then is your kingdom? And the beggar answered quietly, in my heart. Isaiah 23, 26, verses 3 and 4 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6. He's telling us not to let anxiety and worry take control of our lives. So how can we overcome this worry wart? Well, there's no magic pill that you can take. But there are some changes that you might make, maybe in your attitude, that, that you would, would help bring about a calming and, and a peaceful spirit so you don't worry anymore. So let's look next at what Jesus offers as a cure for our anxiety. First off, I think we need to take a look at the birds of the air. And that's what he just simply does. As he's out there on this mountainside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, there are birds that are all over that area. And he says, let's look at the birds here. He says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? I mean, we know that they don't do anything to 
to have all that their provisions are taken care of. God provides for them. And are you not more valuable than the birds of the air? After all, you were created in the image of God. True? At some point in your life, you're going to need to slow down and just smell the roses. I mean, that's important. And in that moment, you should take the time to reflect on the promises of God. So let's jump back into the book of Psalms 23. And we find that the psalmist writes these words that have brought so much comfort and a sense of calming in the lives of people for generations. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths and He restores my soul and He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even, listen to this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my anxiety doesn't get me. I don't worry about who's hiding around that corner. He says, I will fear no evil. Why? Well, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now if you turn over to the book, of, or the book of Ephesians, and we find there in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." And then he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all, than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul then writes to the church at Rome in the 8th chapter. And he tells us there, as we begin to look at verse 26 to 28, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself, catch this, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings 
too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. You see, trusting in God doesn't mean laziness or indifference on our part. It means we're putting our confidence and our faith in Him, realizing that, that God has the means, He has the capability, He has the desire to take care of things for us. And He wants to care for you, so don't worry. Be happy. Right? I mean, that's what makes worry a serious sin. It's accusing God of not being able to do what He has promised us that He would do. That He can't fulfill His promise to care for us. So we worry because we put it on ourselves. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now worry says... I don't believe that he can do it. But Solomon says in Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 that trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he, catch this, he will make straight your paths. But worry says, I don't believe that God cares about my future. But Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. But worry gets back in our head. He says, I'm all alone. When we don't trust that God is going to keep His promises our anxieties get the worst of us. So let me sum this up for you. If we will make an effort to trust in Him, God has promised to provide for our needs. All right? It's a matter of believing Him and trusting that He keeps His promises. Why don't we do that? Now, the second thing is this. We need to maintain proper priorities. Since people are more valuable than these birds... By Jesus' own statement, we're supposed to, as he says in chapter 6, verse 33 of Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, the godly principles of life that we're supposed to follow as is putting God first in everything we do, then we put people second to that, and our family is just as important probably in that priority list. And finally, it comes our, our, our job and our employer, the last thing we're supposed to worry about is me. No, not just me, John Wagner, you. We only work about ourselves last. We are to be concerned about all these other things. God first, those around us next. The things that we're invested in. And finally, we can then think about ourselves. 
And when we put our priorities in order and we begin to focus on the right thing, God promises that he is going to supply our needs. Our anxieties, however, and our worries, they continue to mess things up for us. And our job may become more important than family and our attention to self may shove everything else out of the way because our anxiety is moving forward. And as a result, our responsibilities, they seem greater than our resources that we have. And then our life is drained by this worry wart that just continues to grow on the face of humanity. When we learn to trust in God, our priorities remain in order and our focus is fixed on what He wants us to see. Then we're not only able to see the big picture, but we have the ability to step into that big picture and make it even more beautiful. God is always willing to supply just what we need in the moment. The end result then is peace of mind, a refreshed spirit, and the work of God manifested in our lives. We can sleep peacefully. Now here's an interesting side note I learned this week as I was doing my, my study. That word peace is used 220 times in Scripture. And most of the time it is linked with another word. Can you guess what that word is? Righteousness. And here's another interesting part. Righteousness always comes before peace. When we are seeking the righteousness of God, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and we're allowing the righteousness of God to clothe us and to robe us in His righteousness, and we're trying to do things His way, the right way, we then find peace. But when we do things our way, there's turmoil. So we need to trust in Him. Now, the third thing I think we must focus on is that which is eternal rather than that which is temporary. And we can, we can put it this way. We must focus on that which is unseen rather than that which is seen or, or visible. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says, For we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. If all we are doing is walking by what we see, we're missing it. Because our problem is often we do things in life by the ability of our sight and our ability to control things. That is our, that is our main focus. And it's the unseen that we begin to worry about. But we're supposed to walk by faith in Jesus Christ, that He's taking care of all those things, those unseen things, and we don't have to worry about it. There's a story recorded in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6, and it's about the prophet Elisha and his servant Gehazi. And they're spending some time in a little town called Dothan. Well, as the story goes, the king of Aram which is modern-day Syria. Aram was at war with Israel. You see, this is nothing new. 
Syria and Israel, they've been for thousands of years, all right? And now the king of Syria, Aram, Right? Every time he was going to execute some battle plan that he had, he had drawn up, he'd send his army in, and there they would be surrounded by the army of Israel. He couldn't figure out, there's got to be a spy in my cabinet here of all my military leaders. And he's getting really upset, and he has this conversation with him, and in this he brings together all of his military leaders, and he has a meeting. And we see this in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled, it says, because of this thing that Israel keeps thwarting their advances in warfare. So he called his servants, and he said to them, Will you not show me who of us is really for the king of Israel. One of his servants says, there's, there's none of us, my lord, O king, but, but it's Elisha, the prophet. I mean, who, who's in Israel? He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedroom. And so he said, well, you go get him. Go and see, and see where he is that I can send and, and seize him. He wants to stop Elisha from telling the king what he knows. And so it was told to him, behold, Elisha, he's in Dothan. Now listen, if Elisha knows everything that he is doing, how does the king think he's going to keep even this a secret? But the king does. And so it says that he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and they surrounded the city of Dothan. They're going to get Elisha. It's the last thing they do. Now the next morning, Elisha's servant, he, he gets up in the morning at Gehazi. And he woke up and he went out to the veranda with his morning cup of pumpkin spice latte, right? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm putting a little more into this story as, as actually there. It was actually goat's milk. But so he, he, he goes out and, and, and he looked out and he noticed that this area around the city walls is swarming with chariots and horses and a very great army. And they're about to be devoured. So he goes to wake up Elisha, who is sleeping very peacefully, right? And when Elisha is awakened from his peaceful night's sleep, Gehazi is worried that they aren't going to make it through the day. And you can almost hear the terror in his voice as he speaks there in, in 2 Kings six fifteen. He says, alas, my master, what shall we do? I mean, we're going to die now. What are we going to do? But what is, what is Elisha's response? He's aware of something that Gehazi has no clue. And so listen what Elisha tells his servant in verses 16 and 17. He said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and here's his little brief prayer. O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain 
was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now get this picture. They're in a little town of Dothan. A great army has just amassed itself around their city walls and they're about to come in and destroy it and kill Elisha. That would cause me a little of anxiety. But Elisha says, you don't, you don't see what I see. All you see is that which is right here. And he prays that God would open his eyes. And what he opens his eyes, he now sees an army of angels around the mountainside surrounding this army. Understand this. The spiritual warfare that is taking place in our world is real. But you have a spiritual army of angels who are at our beck and call because God sends them. The Bible emphasizes the fact that what is unseen is often more important than that which is seen. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For, you see, this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen, those things are eternal. All right? So Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I want you to notice that, that Jesus didn't say, don't worry about tomorrow because nothing bad will happen. He doesn't say that. He doesn't promise tomorrow is going to be a breeze. All right? He said each day has its own trouble. All you've got is today. Don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, if you want to, go ahead, but you won't be sleeping tonight. Let tomorrow deal with itself, tomorrow. Back in 1789, the sky over Hartford, Connecticut got eerie. I mean, it was so much so that, that the state congress, as they were in session, began looking out the windows, and they literally thought the end of the world was at hand calming the shouts of the statesmen that they wanted to immediately adjourn and run for the hills and get to their families, Colonel Davenport, he was the Speaker of the House, he rose and he said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. You see, we spend so much time worrying about tomorrow, fearing what may or may not happen, that we often forget that, that a Christian has nothing to fear about tomorrow. 
As long as we remain faithful to Christ and, and, and the calling that God has given us, we don't have to worry about those things. Rather than fearing what is to come, we would be much better off taking comfort in the fact that nothing happens to a child of God without our Lord's consent and His faithful hand guiding us first. Once again, we're shocked by the turmoil that has arisen in our world, not just among individuals, but even between nations, again and again and again, we've witnessed how cruel people can be and how cheaply human life is regarded by some. Maybe it's time to pay attention to the words of Jesus where He challenges us and He focuses us not to worry and not to have fears, but to focus on the faithfulness of God in the midst of chaos. Before 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, the common belief was that a ship from Europe, if it sailed too far west, that it would either fall off the edge of the world or it would face terrible dangers. Matter of fact, in the British Museum in England, I'm told that there is an ancient mariner's map that dates back to the 15th century when um, King Henry IV was on the throne. Now on it, the, the, the chart make makers, as map makers, they wrote these words over the Atlantic Ocean. Here be giants. Here be fiery scorpions. Here be dragons. And based on that superstition, Sailors were often afraid to travel west across the Atlantic Ocean. But there was an English navigator by the name of Sir John Franklin who was a mighty faithful man to God. And he knew the Bible that God said that God sits above the circle of the earth. And he took a copy of that map and he crossed out those fearful words and he added these three words. Here be God. Now, if you're a servant of Christ, you need to know that as you sail towards your darkest fears and your deepest worries, there be God. He's right there in the midst of all of us. He is here with us. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us as orphans. He will be with us always to the very end of the age. Job discovered that, and he was able to look through his tears, and he said in Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. Our universe is so large that scientists, they cannot measure it. But the Bible says in Isaiah 40.12 that God measures the heavens with the span of His hand. So when our world is crumbling, and the most important thing that you can do is to place yourself in the hands of God. Trust me, it is there that you will find it to be the safest place in this world. Let's pray.